Hello and welcome to The Paper Crane, a podcast from Codes in the Clouds and a Misspent Youth Productions. We are Codes in the Clouds, my name is Joe. I'm Stephen. I'm Jack. And I'm Kieran. And this week we were joined by John Congleton, a Mm. producer Mm. and musician uh, that we're all huge fans of and have been for years. Mm. Uh, From his own music with The Paper Chase and to to his production on some of our favourite albums and some mm. absolute mega hits. Yeah. Mega stars he's worked with, man. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, he's just worked with so many different artists as well. But, we, yeah, we're completely in awe of him. Well, yeah, actually, I don't know a damn thing about this guy, despite me having a, <laughs> an hour-long conversation with him. If only there was someone Dial it up. tell me. Dial up the robot. John Congleton facts. Yes. John Congleton is an American Grammy Award-winning record producer, engineer, mixer, writer, and musician. In addition to his production work, Congleton has fronted the alternative rock band The Paper Chase. Yes. And recently writes music for a newer project entitled The Nighty Night. Aside from working in bands and writing music in bands, he has also written music for various other projects, including, including music featured in MTV's Jackass... Oh, really? <laughs> that wasn't the whole interview about that. I like, yeah, I like <laughs> it when it the robot gives us facts that yeah, aren't brought up I'm, in the interview. That's why we bring the robot with us. Yeah. And I'm glad you didn't call it jackass as well. Some people make that mistake. I had mm. a kid in school say that once. Mm. Oh, sorry, robot. We'll get back to you in a second. But at one point, this this guy in my class said, uh, oh, did you see jackass last night? And he went, no, I saw jackass last night. <laughs> 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 You're such an idiot, that kid. <laughs> sorry, ro- sorry, robot. Go on. His music has also been used in various documentaries on the Discovery Channel and also in one of our favourite TV shows, Friday Night Lights. Mm-hmm. Ah. Oh. oh, man, I was thinking about that earlier, that show. That was because I watched Any Given Sunday for the first time. Oh, really? yeah. Seen I'm not sure before. I've seen that. Never seen it before. This, I mean, whatever. I mean, this isn't a film review show. Yeah. <laughs> I know that it's also a film from 25 years ago. But is that the know. movie with the big like Pacino speech that you see in like yeah. memes? And it's shit, a game right? of inches. That that stuff. Okay. Yeah. He's also produced records by artists such as Explosions in the Sky, Regina Spector, oh. Goldfrap, Death Cab for Cutie, yeah. Saint Vincent, and so many others that we admire. Yeah, love Ooh. that. Even the robot admires it. That's good to know. I like, yeah, I like that the robot is developing nice emotions now, rather than just feeling <laughs> slighted all the time. The robot does seem a little bit brighter today. Yeah. It's good to oh, see. Good old robot. Sun is out. Vitamin D. <laughs> anyway, uh, listen up. This is a reminder to let you know that there will be a playlist to accompany this episode. Yes. Uh, that's put, into, put together in collaboration with the guest, of course, and you can find the link to that. Uh, as well as the books we discuss um, during the conversation and other re- relevant links in that description bit below where you're looking at right now on your on your phone where you press exactly. play just now. so if you're not if you're not looking at it currently do grab your phone and have a look at those links also we want to hear your band names song names and gig stories stick around uh, after the chat with John we have some great ones uh, to tell you about uh, including ones from previous guest Hazel Wilde from Lanterns on the Lake oh really um yeah, oh, I don't and know about this. And hers is hers is an absolute cracker. <laughs> By the way, it really made me laugh. So yeah, but yeah, I was uh, I was gutted not to be on this interview, guys. But did you have I ever told you that I met John Congleton once? 
No. No. Yeah, I met him super briefly. What? Um, this was a. It was at a Paper Chase gig. Um, so, do you remember? I mean, I'm sure you'll remember because it was quite a big moment for us at the time. But we were, we were in the di- like the dying throes of using MySpace. I seem to remember. <laughs> And right. it would have been around the time, the I think, before Rest the first peace. album came out, before Paper Canyon came out, and uh, we'd—I I can't remember if we'd added. Like, I think we'd added John Congleton as a friend on our MySpace, <laughs> and he sent us. He took the time to send us a message saying, "Oh, like the songs are sounding great or whatever." And I remember all of our response was to freak out. Um, and then I saw, and this was like a month later. I saw Paper Chase play, and then I saw John in the bar afterwards and I just went up to him and said I'm in Codes in the Clouds you sent us a really nice message uh, the other week and I just want to say look, we really appreciate it uh, and he and his response was well yeah I meant it and it, which I thought was like the perfect the perfect little interaction I had with him super brief but it was super nice but I thought listeners might like to know yeah. going into this interview that not only is he you know, a fascinating musical mind, but he's also quite a nice guy. He's just very Absolutely. kind. I'm not surprised about the way he reacted to you because he was just like that for the whole conversation with us. What a lovely guy. But anyway, uh, guys, well done on your chat with uh, John. Listeners, enjoy. So, where are you, John? You're in your studio? Uh, no, I'm, well, kind of. Uh, th- this is the downstairs of my house, which is kind of a office studio sort of situation it like it's been this way since basically covid right. and um i've just haven't changed it um because uh, i started working you know i obviously there was that crazy period where nobody was going anywhere of course and um i had to do some work so i just kind of put something together down here but it's like it's two rooms just filled to the brim with gear and crap and whatnot and <laughs> Are you able to work like that still now, or do you feel like you need a studio space? Uh, I don't like working from home uh, at all. Uh, I have a, um, I've leased a few places here in California, and um, I actually own uh, another building that's being that's being built out right now, like literally as we as we talk. So that'll eventually be up and running, and that will be where I will go most every day. Um, but, you know, this is Los Angeles. There's a million fantastic studios here. So there's never really ever, like, uh, a dearth of things, of uh, places to make records at. Yeah. Yeah. Because I saw that you, um, you're you quite sort of strict on, like, a, an, a, a, a set working time. And, and, like, we get the stuff done in this time. And is that something to help creative flow, that you have, like, a set boundary? And the deadlines yeah you know it's funny i've talked a lot about that um because people seem to be curious about that um because there's this sort of understanding that has existed basically since the late 60s that like the studio is just anarchy and like you yeah you know you go yeah. you go to all hours and you burn the candle at both ends and Actually, that's not the way it used to be. You know, it used to be a studio had like an you know set hours, and you would come in and you would. And there was a closing time, and like the engineers, for example, or the producers, you know, they went home at a certain time. Um, so, um, not to say that that's right or wrong, but like, let's be honest, that it used to be a little bit more of a blue blue collar kind of thing like that. But for me, um, I was certainly 
the opposite of that for many years of 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 working you know 14 hour days sleeping for 5 hours getting back up and just doing it all again and um a lot of things happened that basically made me change that um first thing that happened was um well it's so many things that happened actually <laughs> um I, I i started i started working with um I've talked a lot about this, but I started working with more women for whatever reason, and they actually preferred shorter days. It just it not you know, not to make some broad generalization, they just sort of seem to it, w- women in general uh, are just much more humane people in terms of their <laughs> wiring. Uh, whereas We're just men, more sensible than men. <laughs> oh yeah, just just <laughs> sensible. Yeah. Uh, there's so much wrapped up with men, uh, with like, there's sort of like, I can go longer than you. I can, uh, I can work harder than you. Um, so that, that, that is so like deep inside everything that men do in our socialization that like, um, that extends into art where it's sort of like, everybody kind of has a little bit of an imposter syndrome. Like I don't really deserve to be here, so I'm going to work harder to prove that yeah. uh, I'm worthy. So there was that, and that was a realization that kind of started to dawn on me. Uh, that was sort of the beginning, and then kind of um, early, mid-30s, you have to understand by that point I had been making records professionally like almost 20 years. I started really young. Yeah. Um, that um, I had kind of gotten to this point where um, I was like, holy shit, there's just like I'm a workaholic there's nothing else in my life whatsoever and I kind of felt like it, the work was beginning to suffer a little bit so um I started at that point trying to regulate the hours a little bit and then um I read I read a few different books about creativity um and uh a lot of like the I love I love that idea that you can read a book about creativity oh yeah <laughs> I mean, do you, do you did you feel more creative after reading those books about creativity? Uh, I mean, I in general, I love hearing about the creative process from people. I don't really yeah, so much yeah. like hearing about the work, but the idea of like where creativity comes from, and a lot of the creativity comes from uh, uh, kind of disidentifying with the story you tell yourself, in my opinion. Uh, and I'm obsessed with the the feeling of a flow state, uh, the feeling of just being in the moment and and and, and, and present and and creating. I love that feeling. That's mm-hmm. the reason why I do this, essentially. So, um, yeah, if anybody has something to say about creativity, I, I'm open to hearing it. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably why people are interested in things like the timing and how how you work, because right. it's, it's how different artists approach that idea of creative flow. Like. Mm-hmm. Someone who I can listen to talk endlessly about creativity is Brian Eno. Yeah, sure. Perfect example. He's got lots of those different... It it, it can be as simple as, okay, I think we work best in this set time, Mm. as as with you, I I believe. Um, Or, you know, it can get so complex as, you know, the... You know, oblique strategy cards. Yeah. Anything, Anything that can just shake things up and help you think about creativity and get into that flow. One hundred percent is interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah. Brian Eno, obviously a huge hero of mine, um, and a hell of a guy. Very sweet man, actually. I, I'm happy to say that we're friends, and he's he's delightful, and um, uh, always has something, some nugget of wisdom to impart every time I talk to him. Um, 
so anyways, um, I read, I read a few, uh, a few people who I really respected who, who, um, one thing they all had in common was they had boundaries. Um, I remember this isn't exactly somebody I'm thinking of, uh, but I remember a book, there's a book by John Cleese, who I think is obviously one of the funniest people who's ever existed. And he, his whole thing was he was the least funny person in uh, Monty Python, he believed. But he was the hardest working, he said, and the most disciplined. And he, uh, he does a thing where every day, uh, I think it's only 30 minutes, where he goes down to his basement or wherever. And it's like 30 minutes of just total silly time, creativity. Nobody can disturb him. And for 30 minutes, he just writes and comes up with ideas and concepts. But the, the, the kicker is that after 30 minutes or whatever time it was, he stops no matter what, no matter what he's on to. Um, and, what you've, and so I started to adopt that with writing and, and uh, producing. And what I found was the, um, it's like a muscle that like at 10 o'clock every day when I start working and at uh, 8 o'clock or 7 o'clock or whenever when I stop, um, it's not – it's not like you're missing anything. You're, you're, you, what you're doing actually is you're, you're, it's like working out. It's like going to the gym. That muscle yeah. is like ready to be enacted. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, there's another thing that I found uh, working with artists that if I have predetermined hours or at least some semblance of a predetermined hour, it relieves all this anxiety for everyone mm. because um everybody has different ideas of how much they want to work but i think that a 10 hour day or an 11 hour day or even a nine hour day that's a that's a totally decent work day by any standards and yeah. i've often found that over 12 hours nothing good happens anyways um so um everybody seems to be a little sharper when they know that there's an endpoint. and just to be clear i'm not like um I'm not inflexible about this. Um, a lot of times, yeah. a lot of times, what I'll say is like, "Here's whenever I am. Here's whenever I will be in the studio with all my focus on it. If you feel for some reason like that's not enough time for you, I'm more than happy to let you stay with my assistant and try whatever you want, and I'll just hear it whenever I come back in the morning." Um, but the amazing thing that happens, and I would say maybe ninety percent of the time no one ever takes the assistant up on that because by the time that hour comes, they're fucking exhausted because when I'm in there, it is work. It is consistent work. Uh, No grab ass, as I like to joke. It's just we're working. We're working on the record with the exception of taking a lunch break or whatever because I like working. You know what I mean? I, I like making art. I enjoy it. I like sharing that with people i like seeing the full bandwidth of their emotions as they go through the ups and downs of 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 uh the elation and the trials of bringing of birthing this thing Mm. i i i fucking enjoy that i like it i just um know that i'm better at it if i don't if I have su- if I have some period of time before and after where I can be just a human and not be creative, <laughs> well, I reckon probably ninety percent of the people that that take you up on that like suggestion is probably because they they appreciate some sort of guidance in that area. Sure, like it's because it's, it's so nebulous, like this idea yeah. of how to approach working within music. Yeah, but, well, I mean, it, 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 I don't have another thing too. Is like, I mean. A t- t- Basically, I think 27 years ago was the first time some there was a 
a, a transaction of money for me offering a service of making a record or recording. That's 27 years. That's a pretty long time. And I can honestly say, without a doubt, I have no fucking idea what I'm doing still. <laughs> like, I have, yeah. I, have no, I have no answers. No answers whatsoever. Um, but, we're, but as, and I tell people that, and I was like, but we're going to figure it out. I always figure it out. Just like we, you know, still figuring it out now, even after still figuring all of the it out. And thank, and thank fuck for that, because if I had figured it out, I would be, you know, I probably wouldn't want to do it anymore. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, obviously, as long along with like restrictions on time, like what else do you do to like cultivate a creative like environment in the studio when you're in session with like an artist? Uh, yeah, great question, man. Um, uh, I think every producer has a different way of approaching it, but the best way I can say it is sort of, it's a little bit of a dodge, but also kind of cues into what I just said, where every record is different. Um, and what that artist or band needs um, can be radically different than the last record I did. Yeah, And so I have to, I feel quite malleable uh, to that. Um, some people really need to be pushed and they need, um, they need a, they need, they need you to be a little rough with them, like which I I wouldn't say I ever am, but like you know they need you to go, come on, man, come on, you know. Yeah. Um, and then other people don't need that at all. Um, uh, and then you know it vacillates to many things. Like sometimes I'm, you know, exceptionally involved with every aspect of of every note. You know, I'm writing with them. I'm doing every single thing and then uh with them and then other times it's it's a band for example that has like completely beat the shit out of the songs before they ever walk into the the studio and like you know I'm almost just like uh somebody who's kicking the ball into scrimmage you know just like right. uh sounds great let's move on you know <laughs> and and there's nothing about that that either one of those um pendulum swings or in between the spectrum that i have a problem with i like all of it i i like i like being somewhat passive and i like being super involved um i think the the talent the trick is to find your place and be of service uh but to be more specific to answer it i think that in general um a lot of the things i think about is like i just try to give an environment where people have permission to fuck up yeah. and have permission to yeah. make a fool of themselves and do something that maybe um, maybe is horrible. But um, there's just such a fine line between stupidity and brilliance uh, <laughs> a lot of times uh, that like a bad idea uh, sort of in the right context can literally be the greatest thing ever. Um, there's this quote, and I don't know who said it, but I think about it a lot, that like there's no bad ideas, just failed visions. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and um, I don't know who said that. I wish somebody would tell me. But, um, <laughs> but, but I, I think that if I didn't believe that, I couldn't do what I do with any sort of uh, integrity. You know? If you keep saying it enough, then when people search it on the internet, it'll be a credit yeah, to I'll you. Yeah, I'll say it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So do you think, obviously you've been a producer for a long time and, you know, you've worked with other producers or at least been around other producers. Do you think that kind of like flexibility and, and malleability in terms of how you approach every session maybe differently, is that like essential in your eyes to being a producer generally or is that just really essential to like you specifically as a producer? I think that's just me. Um, 
the I think that <clears throat> for most part, a lot of producers you can pin them down a little bit more to like, well, this is what this producer seems to offer consistently, mm. and, and there's a huge gambit of that. Yeah, um, I mean, there's producers who um, producers, engineers, mixers who. Um, this sounds diminishing, but I do not mean it that way at all. But almost like what they always offer is reliability. Yeah. Um, like, go to this person, and you're guaranteed to have a very solid pop record mm. that scratches those itches. Um, and there's a lot of people, especially mixers, who uh, make a very fine living doing that. Yeah. Um, uh, that's great. Then there's people who... Um, you know, there's like taskmasters, producers, like people who will really make people work hard on the performances. Um, that has sort of mutated into producers who basically just auto-tune and beat detective everything now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I'm not a huge fan of, personally. Um, I Mainly because I feel like anyone can do that. I don't feel like there's any singular... Uh, singular talent to mouse clicking for eight hours a day. Mm. That's just my personal opinion, though. I don't offer that. Um, people don't come to me for that. Um, uh, and then that you have people that are more like wild card people who like are just tremendously creative and will bring something left field to an artist. Um, I think Enos falls in that category. I only bring him up because because you you brought him up, but. Yeah. The the thing that Eno is so unbelievable at, um, and I think everyone kind of understands this, is like he gives artists and bands uh, the confidence to do something that they wouldn't do otherwise. Yeah. Um, like because Brian Eno is in no way interested in what you did before. <laughs> he, he, right. he his whole thing is like, why would you do that? You can do that in your sleep. Now, of course, the the folly of that is like if you if Brian Eno was producing ACDC, <laughs> ACDC fans and probably ACDC would not appreciate that hmm. because ACDC is very self-assured in what they do. Um, yeah. But um, I don't know what's a, I mean, you know, you uh, two Coldplay. These are bands are uh, that are, are, you know, consistently striving to do something different. And the best way to keep your creativity changing and mutating is to fuck up your process. Mm. And that's where producers can come in because they can come in and fuck up the chemistry, hopefully in a good way. But, um, <laughs> but I, I'm a, all digressing back to like, uh, this is kind of answering your question, is fuck the process up. <laughs> How can we do it yeah. differently? How can we do it differently? Mm. Because I think you're right. It's not that one approach is better than the other. Like they both have their merits. Like... Mm -hmm. um, on our on our last series, the last episode was with uh, Justin Lockie, and he had mm. he described uh, making his first record with your code name is Milo, with uh, Steve Alvini, and he's mm. diligently taking notes about how he records drums because he wants that drum sound which everyone right. knows as that sure. as his sound. But sure. you wouldn't, of course, you wouldn't say, "Oh, that's no that that's not valuable" because it's the same every time. Mm. It's like a signature signature move. That he mm. brings brings to it, and I think something with you that's really difficult is to identify any sort of signature move or identity like that. Like, mm. there's such a range of different sounds. Mm -hmm. It's like, do you, 
do you think you've got a signature kind of identity on the tracks that you always bring or is it just flexibility as you said i think when i was younger if i'm honest with myself i think when i was younger i i i hoped or strove to to have that if i'm honest with myself like i maybe wouldn't have it i maybe wouldn't have admitted that because i would have been embarrassed um but uh i certainly don't care about it now um and if people are hearing that I hope they'll, first of all, if they're hearing that, great. But I think that that's probably just kind of nerdy nose picker kind of people that are hearing that. Like pe- people that but, I mean, like, is it is it great? Like, would you welcome it or would you prefer that your skill is in allowing each individual artist's essence to be the, the focal point of the record? Uh, I, uh, I have two answers. Number one, yeah. honestly, I don't care. I don't give okay. a fuck. Um, if if people if people think I have a sound, great. I, I don't care. Um, but um, in terms of whenever I go into a record, I would kick my own ass uh, psychologically if I even considered how should this sound more like a John Congleton record? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I think that uh, I I think that like. To make every decision based on what I find flattering would um, – or what I exclusively find flattering would amount to a bunch of stupid and fucked up sounding records. Um, my personal taste as a listener certainly skews toward the very fucked up and the very yeah. – um, and, and, and what 95% of the population would find unlistenable. Um, and I'm very comfortable with that. A lot of that comes from the fact of that I've listened to a lot of music and it takes a lot to move the needle for me personally, for me to get excited. You don't hear Bob Dylan every day, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, uh, I think that if there is... God, I feel like such a douchebag talking about this <laughs> shit. Uh, if, there, if there is a John Congleton sound or approach... It's it's exactly what I what I would hope it would be would be um, that well, what I always say man I feel like I'm babbling um, no, no, what no, I always no, say no. is is uh, the the most creative thing that could possibly happen is for the artist to do exactly what they do best because that let's say it's a band that combination of five people. Nothing else could possibly happen in the world that sounds exactly like those five people having a a musical conversation with each other. Mm. And I'm honored to be a part of that conversation, right? So um, we make those decisions together. But for the most part, I, I think I look at a band or an artist and, and, I, and I ask myself, what is the one thing that they do that nobody else does quite like that? Mm. And then I take the big highlighter and I'm like, let's do more of that. Let's be more (laughs) of that. Now, here's the challenge. The challenge is the things I found, the things that make people really unique as artists are usually the thing that they're most embarrassed about. Right. Interesting. That they want want to hide, Mm. that they want to obscure. Yeah. Uh, It's fascinating to me. That that's the case, but it's very true. Another thing that I've oft- often found with artists is 
uh, you'll find themselves the most interested in the thing that is the, the piece of work or the art that is projecting the most of what they want people to think they are. Yeah. Um, which you got to drill down on that. It's like, what, what, what is this? Where's this coming from? Is this actually what you do? Yeah. And every artist without an exception has this pathos to them. Yeah. Um, so sometimes where, where they, what they want to be projected as is fucking awesome. And it's, just, <laughs> it's an amazing, it's an amazing <laughs> thing to aspire to. And we get there a perfect audience, audience a perfect, a perfect art, artist like that. W- I would say is like David Bowie, who like every time was like, okay, this is what I'm doing next. And he'd fucking murder it every time yeah. he would nail it. Uh, a lot of that came from he always had great people around him to help yeah. him get to those places. He's another artist that definitely understood fucking up his process. Yeah. Uh, I just try, uh, uh, it's such a buzzy thing to say, but sort of like a safe space for people to be the most creative they can possibly be and, and, and feel that it's okay to be embarrassed in front of me. I don't, I'm not going to laugh at them or something like that. Um, I, just, I just try to get people to be who they are i think in terms of like your influence and your signature or whatever on the record it's because you've got such a back catalog now it's sort of something that you post apply like so mm. i listened to uh the st vincent record not knowing that it, it was you that had produced it then when i when i knew that I was I then was seeing all the different little layers in there and the way that right. like the vocal can change in the, the space of one sentence. Right. Um and then I was thinking, oh, that's that's like a similar technique to all the layers in the paper chase. You know, it's something mm. I'm just like looking looking back over, you know. Right. And 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 t- kind of go digressing to what I said before, I think it's very cool that somebody would notice that. And people that want to write about music and <clears throat> excuse me, uh and think about music scholastically Hmm. of course they're going to pick up on those things and i don't think that those things are invalid um but at the end of the day uh the things that make me chuckle (laughs) aren't what ultimately is important um uh those sorts of things that you're hearing to me that's on the same level of like oh this guitarist played on these records and i can hear that tone or i can hear that personality yeah. that's fucking cool mm. that stuff i love but the idea of like in a phil spectory kind of way like every artist is buttered and squirted through the same process of <laughs> yeah. sound and effects that's fucking boring and and i love wall of sound recordings you know but even phil spector had to change his shit and we're talking about the wall of sound trend that was three years man that was only three yeah. years yeah. where he was able to ride that shit because people got sick of it i think it's i think it's also just not how people listen to music right you know like especially not now with the music we make i want people to do that um sort of scholarly mm-hmm. like, checking over it but in in truth i mean that's like one percent of the sort of actionable listening that's happening it's just it's just there for most people. Absolutely. And they just enjoy it or don't. Absolutely. You know? the, that, but that 1%, I mean, you're connecting with them, and that's fucking great shit. Um, there's certainly nothing wrong with, with um, putting that attention to detail to where other people will appreciate it. Um, yeah, a lot of people don't appreciate music in the same way that music nerds appreciate it, and that's okay. Um, 
one of the things actually this is sort of ties into that like you were saying people just hear it and they appreciate it or not um i think that that's a super important point that i always bring up in the studio um because you know like you spend your entire life listening to music how you listen to it which is like you put on a record or a cd or you're fucking streaming you know and you just sort of it's like background noise while you clean the house or do whatever maybe your favorite record you sit down and you listen to a little more intently so you that's how you experience music, right? And then you go into the studio and everything fucking changes. Everybody sits there like this in between yeah. the speakers and listens <laughs> like uh like they're ready to like move everything with forceps and burnish it into place and it's this precious fucking thing. And I often point out how fucking stupid that is. <laughs> that like nobody will ever experience it that way um and your sitting there listening to for a problem yeah which nobody on planet fucking earth or at least nobody i want to make music for puts on a record and listens for a problem yeah nobody <laughs> does that they put on a record and they accept it they either like it or they don't yeah and i'm trying somehow to figure out a way i'll never totally get there but i'm trying somehow to figure out a way of how can i synthesize that in the studio i don't know how because it's on on the face of it you're not it's not a problem i suppose to to go over everything but you're then losing other opportunities for creativity because you're stifling it by exactly like i mean to to go back to what i said before that there is now a method of production where almost without like like a like it's a like a summarily like thing where where like immediately as soon as the performance is is done the producer or the engineer immediately starts gritting the performance and beat detectiving it and like moving everything around to make it tight. Wait a fucking second. Mm. What, why is it broken? For fucking 80 <laughs> years we've been recording music where we didn't do that. Yeah. And now we're doing it to everything summarily. Like it's just happening immediately. I'm not saying it isn't bad, but like wait a minute. Why? Why are we doing that? Are we possibly taking exactly the thing away that makes it special and unique? I tend to think so. I tend to think that that musical conversation that's happening is very unique. And let's take a beat and just ask ourselves, is this actually a problem? Or is this actually what makes it fucking great? And the thing that makes you sort of wince or grimace because it's you playing that part, couldn't that potentially be somebody else's favorite moment? It's usually my favorite moment on records. So yeah, and why ask the band to do a performance to then ultimately change the performance? I mean, yeah, that's a that's the question, right? I mean, I'm it, it, just so we're clear, I have no problem with fixing things if it's if it's the kind of thing where somebody's about to jump off a bridge or whatever, or if, like, <laughs> or if it just genuinely sounds distracting. Um, of course, I'm fine with that, um, but. It's so easy to do it now that people just immediately do it. Like, I don't, I'm not interested in sitting there and listening to music where everything is perfectly balanced and perfectly on beat and perfectly intonated. That's not music. That's not what music even sounds like. Intonation in the real world doesn't really exist, like perfect intonation. Yeah. Like I don't, I just don't go know. Back in time to the like 20s and 30s jazz yeah. recordings. 
with all the modern right. equipment and gear, you wouldn't right. just give it to them and say, oh, no, this is going to be a much better recording if you... If you yeah, can you this. imagine? How about this? I mean, check out, check out this. I mean, this is, this, this, is, this is a funny thing to think about. Think about how incredibly out of tune everything used to be before tuners existed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, A440 pitch, you know, like... Uh, that's very new where everyone was tuned to that. Like, uh, you know, with an orchestra and an opera, you know, 500 years ago, they would all just tune to each other and they would just figure out their relative pitch. I find that really interesting. And then think about all that music that was just made on porch porches by families, you know, like each of them had their own instrument. They imagine like how horrendously out of tune all that shit was. (laughs) I love it. I think it's great. I mean, I think from certainly from like my experience, um, I'd imagine for artists, probably for them, their music is very kind of precious to them, and that may be why they like overanalyze every single like, aspect of every bit of recording. Of course. I mean, do you like when you're in the studio with an artist? Do you try and detach them a little bit from being so precious about their music to allow them to kind of see it differently or hear it differently? I would say that's almost the main thing I do. Right. Like that might be the thing that I'm doing the most these days because it's it, it's getting harder because technology has led us to that point yeah. to where things are very malleable. Mm. Um, I'm not a I'm not some sort of analog purist. I'm not going to say, ah, oh, man, I, I want to cut everything on tape. I don't care about that shit. But I started on tape, and I have to say, there's something about that process that is super fucking valuable. Mm. Whenever you can't fix it easily. When you can't just move it, when you can't, when if if you want me to edit something, I have to get the razor blade out and cut the tape. It makes everybody slow those decisions down yeah. a little bit and go, "Is it worth it?" Because this is actually pretty good, mm. and will it actually be better? I have actually, um, I have a project that I want to do. Um, you guys are familiar with the Shags, right? Yeah, one of the most bizarre fucking records yeah. ever, Philosophy yeah. of the World. I think everybody agrees. Uh, I mean, you put that record on, and it's it's almost psychedelically discombobulating with how insane it sounds. Imagine okay, that so, record in tune. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. This is this is what I'm this is what I'm getting at. Like, I understand that the shags aren't for everybody, but people who appreciate music and really are into things that are strange and beguiling, we all agree that that record's out of fucking control, right? So I have this idea that I want to get a hold of those multi tracks. And I want a beat detective. I want to auto tune. I want to. Oh, I want to wow. grid. I want to grid everything up. I want to. <laughs> I want to intonate the chords. I want to make it all like. I want to treat it like. Um, uh, like an Imagine Dragons record, okay? <laughs> um, and then I want to present it to the world and say which one is better. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know it would that. take it would take a lot of time, but I'm genuinely interested in doing this. So if anybody's listening to this podcast and can get me those multi tracks, <laughs> oh man, I'd fucking hate I'd hate for you to lose that argument. I probably would lose that argument to a lot of people, but, but fuck those people. <laughs> those people are insane. <laughs> in terms of like audience reception. And and with regard to that approach of just thinking about how the how they're going to listen to it, as opposed to how I can minorly craft every little detail, I feel like you've had records that have obviously had major commercial success, and lots of people have heard it and then appreciated it. And then also super niche records that hardly mm-hmm. anyone will hear, mm-hmm. but they've got this like they've got all these little details in them. 
you know, probably the best example is, you know, you're a Grammy award winner, you know, so that's like a pretty good metric of audience reception. Does that change how you feel about a record knowing how it's been received? Oh, um, I think it's impossible for it not to change your perception somehow. But I think that for the most part, uh, I don't give a fuck. I don't care. I mean, like there there are certain records that were successful that I think are really genuinely good records, and I'm super stoked because it's like, wow, there was no like, there was no big compromise on that record, and then it got successful. Sometimes I guess it felt like it, there was some big compromise where like, wow, we really, we really dulled this down, lowest common denominator, and then it was a success. Then maybe that would be sort of like a bummer to me a little bit. Uh, but it's been the opposite for me that a lot of the records that have had the most success were the records where I, I and the artist really believed in our instincts and that's fucking cool. Like when you're, when you're sort of validated a little bit of like, Hey man, people do like creative, cool shit. People still like it. Um, and, and to extrapolate on that a little bit, um, almost without very many, exceptions there may be some exceptions if i think hard about it the records that were beat to shit to death by the artist the record label or even me in some cases uh those aren't records that people care about not to say that they not 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 to say that people don't like those records but they weren't some sort of like game changer mass appeal kind of thing do you have without asking you to like you know pick your favorite child are there pinnacles <laughs> and higher points of your recording career? Do you look back on specific records? No, I don't. I think I think back on periods of time where I was doing better work and less good work, in my opinion. Uh, like where I felt like I was not bringing, I, I, I like, uh, I, I, you know, I, I was like, wow, I should have pushed harder, or I should, you know what I mean? Like, there's just there's times where i look back and i'm like ah, i wish i had i always only wish that i pushed harder right. Right. i never i never regret i don't regret like mixed decisions or you know things like that like i i, I have a lot of producer friends who are, will keep themselves awake with things like that but here's the thing you can't control how people perceive your work mm-hmm. like you can spend five years on a mix but ultimately somebody's going to listen to it as ostensibly in mono while they clean out their cat litter box, you know, like from, <laughs> from like the other side of the room. Yeah. And I'm supposed to know how that person's going to perceive this. I can't, I can't yeah. control it. I, 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 the only thing you can do is make the best decision at the time when that decision is in front of you. Um, everything else is entirely out of your control and there are records. And again, we won't, I don't want to go into details because I don't want to change people's perception, but there's records I've done that I don't think particularly sound great. But people tell me they think they sound great. Great. Yeah. Awesome. That's fucking awesome. And why, why would I ever go, oh, I hate that record, or I hate the way that record sounds like? Number one, I never feel that way, or rarely. And two, like, why would I spoil it for them? That's ridiculous. So when you say push harder, do you mean... You wish you push yourself harder, or do you you wish you push the artist harder? A little bit of both, but like sort of like uh, we should have we should have taken more chances. We should have, 
yeah, just take more chances. That's the only regret I ever have. But if I'm honest with myself, I realize I'm not the boss of the artist. You know what I mean? I'm just there to help. Um, And they're going to go as as far as they're comfortable at that time. Um, And sometimes artists can be exceptionally conservative, uh, by my estimation. Right. Um, uh, That's okay, though. I mean, maybe... Maybe I gave them the tools to be more bold the next time, or when we if in, if we do work together or not, it doesn't really matter. Mm. Do you tend to try and push them in terms of adding certain parts or anything like that? Like I know you said the degree of of writing that you do on the record, like collaboration changes. Mm-hmm. But do you do you do you try? In general, to see like, oh, look, this would be a good idea here, or we could add this here. Uh, not, not just to general, just to to generalize here for a second. It seems to be normally I'm telling people to put less things on records or, or, or lobbying for less. Um, which to me is nowadays, that's the bolder choice as opposed to like layering things. It's so easy to layer things and it can be very seductive while you're doing it. Um, so I think that in general, I'm, I'm, I'm usually lobbying for less rather than more. But um, no, I think I'm trying to push people to like make that performance more extreme. You know, make like let's get a more like dangerous sound out of this guitar. Let's let's uh, let's offend the listener a little bit more. That's how you make history with music. That's how you move the needle is like being this is not the right word, but offensive a little bit. Because you have to offend sensibilities to inspire people. They, they, they don't, there's no two ways around. It's the same side of the coin, or two sides of the same coin. You have to offend to excite. Right. Otherwise, it's just sort of neutral, right? And certain artists are more receptive to that than others. And of, Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. in general, uh, not always, but in general, I'm always the one who's seems to be least conservative in the room. But I have to be honest with myself that like this is not my record at the end of the day. (laughs) I don't have to tour and support it for two years and stand behind it for the rest of my life, at least not in the same way. Mm. Um, So obviously, if they're not into something or that doesn't feel honest for themselves, I must acquiesce. But then having said that, it's not like your records of with the paper chase were conservative by any stretch of the imagination <laughs> those are my records <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> those but, are my records but like yeah the theory that you're maybe more conservative because you're more worried when it's your thing as as an artist i i think you're definitely the exception to that rule if you listen you to know what albums. i would push back on that slightly because um and again i don't want to get into specifics because i don't want to change anyone's perception of anything or af- affect it but there are moments of paper chase. The paper chase records. My biggest regret on a few of those records, and there's a couple of those records that you will not be able to play to me without me leaving the room. Um, <laughs> uh, is is that I over is that I overthought it. Um, uh, the, my biggest regret is that I overthought a lot of my music. Um, I should have left it alone. A little bit. I should have not. Um, in to me, okay. What I'm trying to say is that was me being conservative. Does that make sense? Right. 
Yeah, yeah. So the the result of the overthinking was to hold it back a little bit. Exactly. And yeah, like, right. and and I and I under no circumstances am saying that like had I done what I think I should have done, it would have been better, or that it would have sounded less wild. I don't think that's it. I think that it. I think that if anything, um. I just overthought it and overdid it sometimes. Like I, I like I sh- like I think every now and again some of those records could have done with a dash of subtlety. Right. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting. It's really interesting because I'm like I'm a, I'm a huge fan of of those, Oh, thanks. of the of and 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 yeah, it's like how dare you say that about this 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 band? That I love so much. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's my point. And it's because it's because here's the thing, man. It's not mine anymore. It's yours. Yeah. You have a relationship with it. It's it's not my. It's not even my music anymore. I don't know who that guy is. Mm. I'm not that person anymore. You're not you're not not really. You know, I I don't feel completely detached from that. Um. But I, I shall say that my my opinion of those those said moments and records has completely softened now. Mm. Uh, when I think back on it now, um, I I have nothing but love for that person that was so agitated with it. Yeah, you know, and like the last stuff we did, someday this could all be yours. I genuinely am very proud of that record. Like I I like most things about that record. It's nice to to sort of leave it at a point that you're happy with it one of the reasons why we broke up essentially was was like i i i felt pretty good about that record my best friend bobby who i started the band with was probably going to have to stop touring and i didn't want that to i didn't want that to happen i didn't want to get into a situation where we had tour dates and we had to get a replacement i just it just didn't feel right and we had another record i had another record written almost ready to go but it and so I knew that it was, and I kind of knew it would be the last record, but the record, the material was such a fucking bummer. It was just like, it was, it was, it was almost all like ba- ballads. And we had just done this, we had just done this kind of, in my opinion, pretty shit hot record. And I was like, ah, oh, man, let's just stop. So, I mean, we're actually, you know, we're actually in the process right now of, of trying to mix our record and um mm. it's not it's, it's been i would say fairly arduous i don't know how steve and kira would, would describe it but we've definitely gone through phases where we think we get to a we get to a point where we think it's done we listen back we're not happy with it we go back again we try again yeah. and we still haven't really got yeah. to the point where we're finished yet but i was i was just wondering from like your perspective like do you have moments like that with artists or your own music in the past with the paper chase and you know when you're in that if you ever get into that place where you just feel like you can't get it right. Like, what strategies do you have to kind of get past that or get through it? You- All right. I mean, we we literally need another hour <laughs> to talk about this. But but I will give you I will give you my truncated. The thing is, is what you're talking about is so exceptionally common, and uh, I go through it on every record, almost no exceptions, um, and. Um, it, w- the process that you're in right now is where most records are ruined, in my opinion. Um, I have seen so many records that I was very jazzed on uh, fall apart in the mixing process because of just doing changes over and over again. Um, what I would I would suggest several things, and I'll try to like give you like bite sized nuggets here. Um, number one, a deadline is super valuable. Just a just a deadline that you all decide uh, on. Um, I know that 
they can feel arbitrary and it's really hard to stick to them sometimes because everyone's like, well, but we just, we just made this up. We just made this deadline up. Uh, number two, uh, accept the fact that you're going to be unhappy with it. Just accept it. Accept that um, there are going to be things that you wish you did differently. And here's the good news about that. That's called growth. (laughs) (laughs) That's like imagine imagine making a record where you're like, did it. Music is done. We (laughs) won music. (laughs) Imagine doing that. I've never felt that way in my fucking life. I actually just did a record. I just did a record with a band that I really like called The Murder Capital. And day one, I really like these these guys. They're 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 quite young, and this is their second record, and they're going through all that those emotions that a young band goes through. Uh, and I remember the guitar player day one. I just met these guys that day. Day one, the guitar player comes in, and like all we've done that day so far is basically do rhythm section, and he's doing his guitar overdub now on top of it. So he comes in and he listens back, and 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 you know it's very it's it's an exceptionally rough state. Right? It's like just just live drums and bass and his guitar. There's not even fucking vocals on it. There's nothing. Right, and he's listening right. to it and he's like, Yeah, man, it sounds like shit. It just you know, it sounds just doesn't sound done. I'm like, Yeah, no, no shit. <laughs> and and, yeah. and but 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 I so I'm sorry I'm just kind of talking to him. I'm like, Well what's what's going on in your head right now? And he's like he's like, I just you know, I just don't want to get to the end of this record and and be unhappy with it. And 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 I said, I was like, spoiler alert, you will be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Spoiler alert. I was day like, one. you're gonna, you're gonna, you're, yeah. Day one. Guess what? You're there are gonna be things about this record that you don't like. Mm. Um, and I said essentially the same thing. And fucking thank God, because you're gonna go into the next record doing something different. Because you want to avoid that. How, how is it to be part of that band's story in terms of that? Like, of all the artists you've worked with, I mean, the records you made with them then go on to propel, like, an, an amazing career. And that's probably happened countless times. Like, do you feel like part of their history? Uh, that's an interesting question that I don't know if I've ever really... I don't know if anyone's ever asked me that. Uh, I am incredibly humbled by every artist that wants to work with me. The fact that they would entrust me with their life's work, even if it's just that stage of their life's work, or that they will pay me the money that they're going to pay me, or that they'll even stand in the same room with me, (laughs) is entirely humbling for me. Even if it's... I don't work on a lot of things that I just actively don't like, but like even if I don't... Even if I don't connect with the music, it's still like such it's such a gift that that they would want to do that with me. Um, So I'm humbled that anyone would frame me as important to somebody's (laughs) life's work. Mm, Um, But let's say for argument's sake, they do. That's fucking cool, man. Like, um, I don't think of things in terms of legacy or like this is what I'm leaving behind because I don't I don't think that I think that that's that would just be my ego or that would be the story I tell myself which all that shit is sort of useless when every day you have to get up and do another record so like but in terms of how you feel about it like for example do you have a copy of every record you've worked on, <laughs> on a shelf somewhere no in chronological order of when you did it 
No, but I, 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 I'll tell you what. Um, one thing I really do like to do is when the record comes out, which sometimes can be two years after I did it, um, when the record comes out, one of my favorite things to do is to put on the record, the, the, the proper record, and like give it one good listen through the way I like to listen to music. Yeah. I love that. And if it was an enjoyable experience making the record, which under most circumstances it always is, I kind of have like a weird sensory memory of all yeah. those decisions. And, and, um, and, and it's great. It's like a nice little reminiscing thing. And if, if, I, if, if, if I like the record as a listener, I'll listen to the fucking record like as a fan for sure. Speaking of things on your shelf, do you have the Grammy on a shelf somewhere? Do you have it in the studio above above the sensor monitor? <laughs> I am not that type of person. No, yeah, no, I, I didn't think it's, you were. It's uh, it's uh, the the Grammys are in a storage building, in a box, right. tucked away. What's the actual? Just practically, what's the process of like when you? When do you find out you win? And like, do you? Do you go to the well, ceremony and all that? Like, what's it lo- like, basically? I've I've never I, I've never gone to the Grammys because I don't care. Um, not yeah. uh, nothing against anybody who who um, thinks that they're great or important. Uh, it's mm. just not it's not for me. Award shows, I, the ones I have gone to, I find so fucking boring. Um, I don't particularly like congratulating people on an idea of success in music because music isn't, isn't a contest. It's not sports. There's no winner in these things. Um, uh, the process of when I've won or been nominated is I found out when everyone else found out. Yeah. It's, it's like, I, I wouldn't care about that sort of thing as well, but there's something about the history of it. It's just, it's just a sort of. Sure. I mean, and look, um, when I die, the first line of my obituary will be Grammy winning producer. <laughs> yeah. This thing that I, this thing that means nothing to me yeah. and uh is not how I measure my existence or life in the fucking slightest, but it will be the first thing that's there. Right? So, yeah. um it is part of my very finite amount of time on this fucking planet. Uh you know, whoever has any monochrome of interest in my existence a hundred years from now, which will be fucking no one, but let's just say <laughs> that's what they're going to see. They're going to, they're, they're not going to see my relationships with my friends, the, the people I loved <laughs> They're That's, that's what they're going to see. Yeah. So, um, it's important in that way, in the same yeah. way that reading an almanac from 200 years ago to see <laughs> what the rainfall was like, well, until he, until he does something better, thank you so much, Grammy Award-winning John Congleton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's maybe this will be the first line of my obituary. <laughs> wow, thank you so much to John Congleton. What a pleasure that was, talking to him uh, the other day. Guys, what did you think of that? I, I, I was very impressed. As I said before, I was... One gutted I wasn't there uh, to have the conversation, but he's just another one of those. Like I think a lot like uh, the the chat you had with Rasmus last week. Um, I just think he's just such an interesting uh, 
he just he has such an interesting and unique take on music and what it is to be in a band. I think it's another must listen for people that yeah. like creating music, you know. And as as a fan of his, he was just chucking in these like blowing your mind bombs every few seconds sure. of you sure. know just like well, he, he teased a lost album of the paper chase yeah like, it's not audible but i could tell that uh you were basically vibrating at that <laughs> yeah i did yeah because and, well at that point i was i was like thinking do i do i ask about that do i like risk ruining Can you say, the i couldn't i couldn't believe it when i was getting to the end of the edit i was like what steve hasn't asked for this yeah <laughs> lost record yet i wouldn't have done it but just there was a, something in the back of my mind thinking about asking it was either that or introduce us to your mate Brian Eno no doubt Brian will be up for a, a little beer with us 100% no doubt as soon as he, he knows like it's us he'll be like yeah I must meet those guys I must <laughs> one thing I've um, noticed from this podcast is the amount of free therapy we're getting yeah absolutely oh I tell you what it is very cathartic listening to these sort of people slightly older than us but infinitely better than us at music <laughs> giving us like really lovely bits of advice as long as you never think about the timeline of it like what they'd achieved when they were our current oh yeah, yeah yeah oh that would make me sick no, yeah, don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah. but you just had one of those voices as well that you could just listen to it was like it's like fairly soft and i could just feel mm. myself just like almost forgetting that i'm not just listening to a podcast or something yeah. myself when I, was just talk- when I was talking to him. Yeah, it's with a tone of authority as well, I must say. But we're all big fans of The Paper Chase, and I quite like that as a band name. <laughs> but let's hear about some band names that maybe aren't so great. This is, this is what I teased before the show. Uh, <laughs> this is from Hazel Wilde, from the Mercury-nominated Lanterns on the Lake. This is a Mercury Prize judge... <laughs> this this is her experience. First of all, she said she said she she, she loved the name Trouble Humor, so I was delighted with that. That's <laughs> a bad sign. <laughs> she said, uh, uh, so Hazel said my first proper band was Green Space, which I still hmm. can't say out loud to people. I don't think it's that's that not bad, that bad, but I well, also yeah, I do understand bad. why you don't you wouldn't want to. It feels like it. a town council term they use, like the developers <laughs> exactly the Green Space. <laughs> green Space. I was, but you know, she's. I think it's. I think it's. Must, it must have been something she's seen on a poster or something. She's gone Green Space. Yeah, that like mm. I did with my band Open Day. That's another band that I was in. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, he goes on. But when I was about fourteen, I tried to start a band called Harmonize. Now, do you think that's got an S or a Z? No, it hasn't. It's, no it's going to be it's going to be Z, and I think because they were looking to break into the US market. Anything unique about the Z? Do you think it's lowercase or capital for no reason? Uh, <laughs> oh I think it's a God. backwards capital Z. <laughs> it's not backwards, at oh, least in this correspondence. But uh, <laughs> she said I had the band name, logo, and a couple of vaguely interested members, but I didn't manage to get them to commit to even do a rehearsal. <laughs> I wrote my first song for them too, which was called Dirty Love. Whoa, <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for admitting that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> there's another one. Uh, this, is, uh, this is from Jay, a musician. She sa- he said, uh, my first band when I was in school was called Zombie Duckheads. And I still think it's a good name, if I'm honest. Now, by the way, this this is the standard. This message. But hold on, before you, before you go on, that's another thing that's quite common with all of these is that people actually they do 
still quite yeah, like they, it. This. Yeah, this, 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 <laughs> I don't, do you know what, Zombie Duckheads, I think is very funny. But then, you know, as we've discussed privately, all the best bands have awful names. Yeah. The Beatles is one of the worst names of yeah. all time. Let's, you know, but so Zombie Duckhead could have been, you know, genre changing. They <laughs> uh, <laughs> could have really moved the goalposts. Mm. Uh, but he said, anyway, he says, we had a kind of logo, uh, a hand drawn Zombie Duckhead, obviously. And me and my mate Charles, the only other member of obviously. Zombie Duckheads, used to scratch the logo into the desks at school with a compass. Whoa. It's. It started appearing on enough desks that we got bollocked for it, and the teacher (laughs) telling us off, A, thought the zombie duckheads were a real band, and B, (laughs) pretended that he knew who they were in order (laughs) to seem like he was cool, saying, look, they're a great band, but you can't just go carving their name into the desks at school. they are a great band. I totally get why he's such a big fan. All right, I get it. Uh, it was possibly the funniest bollocking I've ever received. Oh, and also, the band never wrote a song or played a note on any instrument. It was just a hypothetical band that we were yeah. 100% a both in. It was, in many ways, the best band I've ever been well, in. And I absolutely love that. Listeners, <laughs> yeah, those so are the funny. best types. Don't be put off if your band never had yeah, a rehearsal. Yeah. Don't no. learn an instrument. That's a waste of time. <laughs> still send us, still send us that stuff in. Do tell us the, the, the band you've thought of. As soon as it's going to become, yeah, just send us a list of names that sound funny. No, but the, the concept. If, 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 if you put your heart and soul into the concept of it, yeah. yeah, that's what I want. I want the logo. I want song titles to songs you haven't even written. Yeah, that's that's funny for me and for everyone I love that um, guerrilla marketing campaign they've done. <laughs> <laughs> we might, do you remember um, at college one of the competition gigs we did at college like you were placed yeah. in bands for, for a term yeah 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 and there was an end of term gig and right. we, I don't know if you were in this band with me Joe but we went round um, the town Dartford. the town centre yeah I do stickering putting stickers and flyers over everything including on like <laughs> vans that were then going to drive off <laughs> and it, yeah, and then we got the, the college got a call, and we had to like run back into town and get them all off of. We we learnt an important law that day in terms of marketing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for gigs and stuff. So that was it's good we learnt early. Um, it didn't stop the kids in the Avril Lavigne video though, did it? it do you know what? And they second me. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, uh, yeah, thank you once again to John Congleton, and well done to you guys for delivering another great interview. Hey, um, thank you. Uh, next week's guest, I well, I'm about to say I'm excited about it, but I've already done it. Uh, I was excited about it, and then it lived up to my excitement, and I hope you're excited to hear it. It's with designer, writer, and illustrator Emily Juniper. Uh, I first became aware of her work with her through her collaborations with uh, Tim Key who's one of my favorites. I know that I know this is an audio medium but I've never known someone to work in such a messy messy place. Yeah, you it know what? I, I, it would, I I it would drive me mad. <laughs> in terms of, in terms of someone who has a very interesting creative workspace and process it's it's a, it's another great listen just for people that like hearing creative people yeah. being brilliant. I find I find honestly all the stuff that she does just to be otherworldly. I can't imagine it, and it looks so simple, but there's just so much, so many little details in it. Ah, oh, anyway, so yeah, you'll hear more gushing next week. I've always put <laughs> our lack of fame down to not being eccentric enough. 
Yeah, we're just not putting the effort yeah. in. Uh, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. But if anyone does want to submit their uh, band stories to us, please do. Please do. Uh, well, Kieran, what email address can they send it to? They can send it to info at codesinthecloud.net. Dot That's net. Dot net. We couldn't get Ford. the big one, the big <laughs> COM. Uh, <laughs> Steve, what about our socials, baby? We are at Codes Clouds on Instagram and yes. What are we on? Are we Twitter? On, yeah, but are we on TikTok <laughs> as well? Uh, a misspent youth productions is on TikTok. If you want to watch clips of episodes, oh, yeah, TikTok is very modern. It's very modern. It's where the kids uh, are not only the listeners' else? first time hearing about it, also our first time hearing about it. I'm excited <laughs> so, to subscribe, I Joe. Uh, the Izzy City video has got quite a lot of. I mean, say quite a lot, about 1,400 or something. I don't know. A load of kids doing some choreographed out. dance to it, are they? That's where everyone's... Ha- yeah, everyone's just dancing along to the old Izzy City. But anyway, yeah. guys, I'm going to leave you with something profound that you can sleep on go. for the week. Yes, please. Uh, I, what I've, I actually discovered... Um, there's an extra part to a very famous... You see what I'm saying? Uh, yep. To Earth is human. Right. To forgive... Divine to paper <laughs> crane. <laughs> that is interesting. I think on that for the next one.